what's a blessing and a curse, I think, about having side hustles is you, you get out of it what you put into it. Hi, fam, and welcome back to The Host by Tori Show. I hope you are having a great week, and I cannot believe that it's already the beginning of February. This week's episode is with Stephanie Rice. Stephanie is the founder of Better Bar in San Francisco, a low and no alcohol event bartending business. She sees a world where bars don't need as much booze. She hosts all kinds of events in SF where she'll set up a full-blown bar with low and no options. So if you're San Francisco-based, definitely look into it. This conversation got me so fired up for what the low and no alcohol world is going to look like in the next five to 10 years. So let me tell you a little bit about this episode. We talked about the Maya principle, the most advanced yet acceptable, and how that applies to Stephanie's bar experience. The behind the scenes of event planning and what goes into it, and specifically what events are resonating with low and no. Stephanie's vision behind opening a bar and why she isn't doing it right now. The best business advice she's ever received. Her views on having Better Bar as a side hustle and how lifestyle plays a role in that, and why she thinks sober bars won't be able to work longer term, but what will. I'm really excited to hear what you guys think about this episode, so let's dive in. I want to know everything about the event planning process because I am really interested in this, and I think there's a massive market for it, but I know nothing about actually like putting together an event. And so when you bring on a client and you have that initial conversation, can you walk us through like, do they say, we have this many people, this is when we want it to be, this is our budget? Like, what questions do you ask them? And then in terms of what you're actually going to be serving, how do they decide? Do you have like a menu of what you can mm-hmm. put together? How do you think about pricing? All these different things. Like, I'm just really interested in the event, the whole event process. Yeah, definitely. So a client will inquire normally from word of mouth or my Yelp page, or we've gotten a couple press hits, which is helpful. They'll let me know how many people they have attending the event. They'll let me know the setup, right? It's like their backyard. Are they in a park? Is it a corporate event, etc. And essentially, by the time they get to me, it's a pretty straightforward pitch. We do low and no alcohol versions of classic cocktails. And that's actually a really interesting point to dive a little deeper on. So when I first started doing Better Bar, I would serve sort of everything under the sun, right? Like things such as kin euphorics, which I know you're familiar with, or dessois, which if if you've had them, they don't really taste like anything else, that they're their own category, right? Yes. So I used to serve those kinds of drinks. I used to serve you know, like zero proof gin and tonics, which is something that you'd recognize from a bar. I used to also serve CBD infused cocktails. And what's interesting is in the event and bartending experience, when you're at a party, I'm sure you you can relate to this, or you've been at an event, you have like five seconds at a bar at a crowded bar to make a decision, very different than making a cocktail in the comfort of your home with five guests and having time to explain the ingredients. So what I started to notice at the parties is that folks wouldn't order things that looked too complicated Mm. or seemed to, for lack of a better term, woo-woo for the millennials who who tune in. We'll probably (laughs) get that that reference. Yeah. So it was an interesting shift that I I made in the product market fit side, because I know you asked me about this earlier. So this, this is hopefully helpful to some of your listeners. 
I scrapped anything on the menu that wasn't directly associated with a classic cocktail you would find at any bar. So what that sort of created is a much simpler pitch to clients, right? If you're only doing low and no alcohol versions of Manhattan's, margaritas, champagne cocktails, right? That's a very simple pitch to folks and people get it, right? It's a margarita. It's, it's like your, fa- your classic favorite drink with less or no alcohol. And the other thing that, that started to happen is I noticed that people were more inclined to try a low and no drink when there was an element of familiarity or nostalgia to it, right? They could recognize it. It wasn't so out there. There's actually a really interesting philosophy that someone in the the low and no space shared with me that's relevant to this called the Maya principle, most advanced yet acceptable. And it's a technique that that in design that's employed very often. And then specifically, one example is, is car design, right? So if you think about like an electric vehicle or when a new model of a car comes out, when the Tesla launched, it, the Tesla was electric. However, it still had all the basic design principles of what you would see in a traditional societally acceptable car, right? It's not like Tesla came out with a car that looked like a bunny rabbit that was also electric. Folks would probably be a little, it would be a little too out there for them, right, to maybe take that leap. However, because it preserves all of the elements of a car that a consumer is familiar with, but the one thing that's changed is that it's electric, it's sort of like the most advanced yet acceptable innovation for society, right? So that's kind of how I think about this bar experience is the low and no alcohol versions of classic cocktails is sort of the most advanced yet acceptable innovation in this space right now. Like maybe once low and no alcohol Manhattans and gin and tonics are more widely accepted, maybe the next step is is potentially like outside of the coasts, right? Like Kin or Dessois kind of really taking hold. But I think we have to crawl before we run. That, I mean, that's super interesting. And even this past weekend, I had a a party at my apartment and we had a tin of different mocktails, but they were all those canned beverages that to your point are a separate category. And so no one can envision what they taste like and are almost scared of trying them because they don't know what they taste like. And they're, they think of it as like either this like really sugary thing or, you know, you know, Dessois is like mushrooms in it. Like what, what is in there? You know, Ken has these like euphorics. And so I, I think that there's a level of not scared, but just the unknown that people are less willing to potentially try those right now versus they know what a virgin spicy mark will probably somewhat taste like or a virgin mojito or a virgin pina colada. And so that is really interesting in terms of what people are actually deciding. And it, it kind of takes, to your point, less of the, okay, let me tell you about all these different types of beverages out there versus like, mm-hmm. let's keep it simple. You're trying to throw a party. People are going to gravitate towards these options anyway. Like what mm-hmm. what type of types of parties or events have you seen has had the most interest for low and no beverages that you've been yeah. a part of so far? Yeah, definitely. So 
to round out your question though about planning the event, like the pitch is really simple now. And then I'll speak to what's been really popular. Like once people get it, that it's low and no versions of classic cocktails, we price a package the same way you would price a package if you were getting a bartender for a bat mitzvah, for a wedding, for mm-hmm. a party at your house. So it's a really simple model. Like there's a per person cost. We show up, bring the bartender, the ice, source all the beverages, take all the thinking out of it when it comes to your bartending needs. The hurdle that we have to overcome is just ensuring folks are bought in to the low and no idea. But by the time they get to inquiring with me, they get it, you know? So it's, it's, an, it's been an easier sell, which has been nice, especially in the Bay Area. The most popular events, I would say it really runs the gamut. I would say that like the 2 to 5 p.m. event has been really popular. So think about like any event during the day where you just don't want people getting too drunk. Yeah. Um, a, a like sports watching party, um, like a baby shower, a corporate gathering or offsite. What I'm noticing too is in addition to the time frame, like the middle of the day experience being really popular, I'm also just noticing this shift in folks wanting to give people more options. And so what I see a lot of times is folks will have my bartenders pour beer and wine, like their beer and wine from their house, but they'll want to give that fancy cocktail experience, but they don't want people getting too smashed off of two really strong Manhattans. So there there will be beer and wine and better bar cocktails, and you you get the fancy elevated experience of a cocktail without the negative side of X, without the rowdy guests necessarily. Yeah. And it's really, it's really gone over quite well. So let me get this straight just so I understand. So you do all this planning process. They pick out a couple of drinks. You then go and source bartenders. I'm sure they're ones that you've had in the past that you like working with. You see if they're available. Then in terms of like decor, renting the bar, all of that, is there like specific decor that they hire you for or like a drink sign? Do you provide any of that? And then are you buying the non-alcoholic spirits on like a fair or something like that? How, and then bringing them to the house based on how much you think they're going to serve? You essentially nailed it. I, I probably did a decent job of explaining wow, I'm so it. Smart. That's because <laughs> that's how it goes. Um, great point around the decor and and the setup. Essentially, we'll bring a foldable table and linens and a really cute better bar neon sign for those other entrepreneurs out there. I bet you could relate to this. When I bought my first neon sign, it was right <laughs> after the Warriors won the NBA championship here. And I was feeling myself after one regular cocktail. I was like, okay, we're doing it. We're, we're really going to, we're going to make this official and get a neon sign. Nothing more official than a neon sign. And we will show up and set up the, a really sleek bar. And we do do decor, like put some like cool little fake flowers and foliage. And I used to do that a bit more extensively and I've worked with some partners in the Bay. So folks, do you want that? We can do it. But what I've noticed is when I started the business, I would source catering, decor, tarot card readers, and other activities for the event, which we're still able to do. But folks, the the, the piece that has been the stickiest on the business has been just the low and no alcohol bar itself. It's just like the simple, it's like the, it seems like it's just like literally the simplicity of it. Yes. And what, what's interesting is 
the sign plus displaying the bottles, as I'm sure you've seen, like the free spirits bottle of bourbon kind of looks like bullet bourbon and like folks have never seen these bottles and they really want to touch them and pick Mm. them up. And to your point, most people expect a zero proof cocktail to be really sugary or essentially be a version of Diet Coke or not be anything more than a sparkling water. And so you could sit there and tell them like, no, this is five calories and it's really, you know, there's nothing that bad for you in there. They want to touch the bottle and look at it themselves. So what's been funny now is the decor is really displaying the bottles that we're going to be serving out on the table, plus the Better Bar signage, plus the menu itself that kind of looks like a spectrum where we have zero proof cocktails on the top and then lower alcohol cocktails on the bottom. So it goes from no alcohol to low alcohol, that's enough stimulation for people. That gives them enough to think about. Like, like if you think about when you you ordered an Uber for the first time or you stayed in an Airbnb for the first time, like this industry didn't, that industry didn't exist. It was novel enough that you would click on your phone in a car, would show up in front of you. You didn't need the car to be like neon pink. <laughs> like, like it yeah, was no, that's a good analogy. Yeah. yeah. So that's the, kind of what's um, happening here. So, so question for you on the brands, because you said that at the beginning you bought every single brand under the sun and tried out these different cocktails or mocktails. And we are now inundated with different non-alcoholic options. And people ask me all the time, like, what's the difference between Seedlip and Liars and Ritual and Monday? And it's like, it, it, it's kind of the same as if you like Tangeray or Hendrix, you know, it, it comes down to personal preference and cost and branding and all those sorts of things. So when you're doing these events, is there one that, because most of these people I'm sure haven't done like a side-by-side comparison of these non-alcoholic spirits. And so how do you choose for them? Do you give price point? Like, how do you talk them through that? Yeah, definitely. So I have the hard job of having to pick which zero proof gins or zero proof tequilas or zero proof bourbons we're going to be serving at the events. The brands have all been wonderful to work with. And I have a couple brands that have been really supportive of Better Bar from the beginning that I enjoy featuring. And I, of course, also love their products. But to your point, there are so many out there I haven't even tried all of them. So the way that I talk folks through this at events is we'll have a sampling, right, of a zero proof champagne and, and some of the spirits. And and what's really interesting, actually, is when you have all seven, six or seven bottles on a display, people actually get a little bit of a FOMO versus just having one, right? People get a little bit of a, a FOMO effect where they're like, oh, there are like eight brands? Like I must be late to this party versus when you just have one, people are like, okay, you're pushing one product. Like, is this really a thing? Quote unquote. So I talk them through it by saying we feature a couple, there's an entire industry out there. If you go to websites like Boisson, which I'm a big, big fan of, as I know you are as well, or go into one of their stores, you can see the entire product offering outside of just what we're serving, right? Because I, I want to be really mindful of the fact that I'm not a retail space. I'm not trying to be a retail space or a bottle shop. Like at the end of the day, I'm a bartending service in the hopes of potentially becoming a, a, a real physical bar someday that serves low and no alcohol drinks where folks can actually come in and order those cocktails. But I think that a large portion of my job in these events is the education process. And I feel really fortunate to have this opportunity that, you know, Boisson or some of the retail spaces don't have necessarily in that when I I do a better bar event, folks are 
already in the process of wanting to drink a drink, right? So I can kind of sell them on the movement for lack of a better term, like in, in the, in the moment which the action is happening, they're trying the drink versus when you think of Boisson, when someone walks into one of those retail stores, you're trying to sell them on drinking these drinks at some point in the future. Yeah. I, I definitely resonate with the education piece and I feel like a salesperson every time that I'm talking to someone new about the non-alcoholic space, but there is still a very low knowledge base of, of this industry, even though it's grown so much, like maybe you've, maybe some people have heard of a certain brand, but there's so much more to talk about related to this. And so I don't want to skip past the part of you talking about wanting to open a bar. Like how do you think about having a bar versus just having an event company in terms of like a business? Is it more that a bar would just be epic for lack of a better term and event is eventing right now is like what will eventually get you there because I can imagine how much would go into in especially in San Francisco like being there renting out a space getting someone to work it like bartenders that are making it the the look and feel that you want it and the experience that you want for people so like kind of talk me through the idea for the bar compared to just like eventing and what you're doing now Mm-hmm. Yeah, the original idea for Better Bar was an actual bar, a physical place. I love to play in the world of physical space. I've always loved events. And that was the pie in the sky idea. But to your point, this was right before COVID. So hashtag blessed that I didn't end up <laughs> opening a bar during COVID. But, you know, in order to start a business, as I'm sure you know, you, with your own side hustle, start a business, a side hustle, whatever you want to call it, you have to dream big. And then sometimes you have to walk those dreams back a little bit in order to get the, the idea off the ground. So the original idea for Better Bar was a physical space. And I was really terrified of the idea of doing that and also kind of didn't know where to start, was feeling really overwhelmed and talked to some folks in the space who had opened bars. And when I talked to my friends in hospitality, one in particular comes to mind. This was like peak COVID when, when all we were doing was hiking which we rebranded as walk-in chats with our friends. Yeah, this individual who owns a bunch of bar and restaurants in the Bay Area gave me some of the best business advice I think I've ever received. And it was really simple. And he said, Stephanie, just do what you know. The way I got started out in hospitality is by hosting for my friends. So if you do what you know well, good things will follow. And so what I knew was events and I, I tabled the, the bar dream as exciting as it was. And I was like, let's do events. And now that that's become more popular, what it's allowed me to do is it's allowed me to test the low and no, the appetite, test the appetite for low and no alcohol cocktails in an environment that has very little overhead, right? I'm not managing the day-to-day operations of a bar. I can see what people like, like, for example, the the idea around figuring out that people had a stronger preference or more of an affinity towards the low and no alcohol versions of classic cocktails versus the the kins or the dissoirs or you know their own ca- those separate categories. I, I if I, I would have gleaned that learning at a much higher price if I were to do that in a bar, right? So I'm trying to um, gain as much knowledge as I can about consumption habits, about what the market wants via events in the hopes that at some point I have the privilege and the opportunity to turn Better Bar into an event planning business 
in addition to a physical place where people can go and get these cocktails, the ideal dream is is truly to disrupt the way people socialize at bars to preserve the spirit of a bar without the negative after effects. And, and the way to do that is to, to not only create these moments in private events or cultural experiences, right? You can think of having a better bar at Outside Lands, Lollapalooza, Art Basel, Coachella, baby showers, corporate events, but also having better bars and low and no alcohol experiences at your favorite bars and restaurants. And in a perfect world, these these better bars would be in and around zero-proof bottle shops like Boisson, right? So you could go and, and have these drinks and then say, oh, you could go right across the street or around the corner and actually buy what you're drinking. Because I don't think the movement becomes mainstream until you have the entire ecosystem there. The zero-proof bottle shops, the zero-proof cocktail influencers, the bar and restaurant menus that are serving low and no alcohol cocktails, the low and no alcohol cocktails at private events, low and no alcohol cocktails at big public experiences. So you kind of need all of it. And so my, my hope is to be a, a part of the event world and, and the bar tending world when it comes to low and no alcohol and really have an impact there because I think the world's ready for it. And I think you would, yeah. you would agree as well. That just got me so fired up, like your vision. <laughs> and I feel like we've, we, we have talked about visions for both of our businesses. And you said you have to dream really big. And I've been thinking a lot about like my business as well. And, and you have clearly thought through a plan of like what ultimately you want as your end goal and the different steps to get there. I, feel like I don't know what I want the end goal to be, but I have a lot of things that I want to be working on to grow it. And so you have a full-time job. I have a full-time job. This for us is a side hustle. And I think it gets overlooked the amount of work that people like us are putting into these passion projects on the side and really what it takes. And I can get caught up a lot in the comparison trap of seeing others who are able to have the are able to do and focus on their passions full time and think that I should always be doing more. And so I want to hear from you how you think about that, how you think about spending time on Better Bar and what you're prioritizing. Because I, I was talking to someone today that like there are five main things that I want to do, but I actually only am able to prioritize two of them. And the other ones are going to go to the wayside. It doesn't mean I don't want to work on them, but like, how do, how do I fit it all in? How do I outsource? Um, it's a conflicting emotion for me constantly. And so I want to hear from you how you think about managing it and what you're prioritizing right now to get to this end state. Yep. I have a lot of empathy for you because everything you said resonates so deeply for me. Having, uh, I currently, my full-time job is doing data partnerships at a, at a large tech company. So, and I know you also work in tech, so we can relate there. And, and both of our jobs are, are quite demanding. The interesting thing with my side hustle is I didn't go into it thinking I was going to start a business, right? So it was kind of a happy accident. And what's a blessing and a curse, I think, about having side hustles is you you get out of it what you put into it. And it is 100% up to you 
what you want to put into it. And sometimes getting clarity around what you want to get out of it is the hardest part, right? Like there are some entrepreneurs who want just to have a side hustle forever, right? And maybe not necessarily grow it into a full-time thing. And that's beautiful. And we need to celebrate all kinds of entrepreneurs. So I really try to to take time to not always go, 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 and just think about booking events on my weekends, but really think about, okay, if I were to continue on booking these events, what would that look like? You know, what am I giving up if I'm doing these events on the weekends? You know, when I'm, when I'm doing events, it's, I'm not socializing with friends. I'm not necessarily dating. So there's a piece that, that you let go of there and you have to be okay with that. But what's interesting about having this as a side hustle is the stability of having a full-time job and not having to worry about health insurance or where your next paycheck is coming from really gives you the free brain space and the stability to make decisions that are best for the business or best for whatever goals you want. Instead of, you know, I've heard stories of founders who do it full time and you have to make a lot of fear-based decisions because you're not necessarily sure if you could cover the rent or pay the bills. And I think you and I both have the luxury of being able to just think about the the our side hustles as how can we get the most out of this experience, right? Because we're not necessarily worrying about it for, for just a paycheck. And I'm trying to to ride that way for as long as possible and build the most honest, authentic, transparent brand. And I have the ability to do that, I think, because it's my my side business. So you almost have to look at it as like a positive. And it's really easy to go down the path of like, I should be doing more advertising or I don't have like the right brand photo shoot or whatever. Some of those folks that are doing everything or doing it as a full-time are maybe in a much more day-to-day stressed out place than, than you and I are. So it's, it's all about trade-offs. It's such, a, it's such a good point and a good look the other way than how I position it, that it can feel overwhelming and stressed out and anxious about it. But ultimately I have stability on the other end, on the other side of having a regular paycheck that's coming in every two weeks to help fund my side hustle and help, and help me put energy towards that. And I I think that's such a good point on not having to take partnerships, not having to do events that don't fit because you're able to turn away business because you you have an income that you're able to to rely on more consistently. And that's something that I felt very lucky that I and and the authenticity point really, you know, comes through for me that I've never wanted to take a partnership just for money. content just for money. And I'm assuming you feel the same about an event. Like if you're not vibing with the person, if it's not something you feel like you want to do, you probably wouldn't want to take it, but it's because you don't have to take it. And that's the same thing for me on, you know, partnerships. There are brands that come to me all the time that I feel like don't vibe with me as a person and what I stand for. And like, I say no to those and yeah, it can be hard to turn down that money, but I can afford that right now to build something I feel really proud of and ultimately monetize over time. And I think that's probably also like lost on some people is that, you know, right now for us, and I'm making a total generalization, but it's not really making a lot of money at the beginning, right? Like you've put a lot into your own business that you are really just trying to build brand awareness. And I'm assuming that that's 
what you're really focused on right now is getting that word of mouth, getting people to hear about you, getting corporates to hear about you for more like partnerships over time. And that's where you end up making more money and you scale yourself and have other people running it. And, and ultimately you're able to kind of take a step back, but I've been doing this for a year and like, I, I haven't been making money. Like I've put so much into my brand and photo shoots and product and other expenses that like, it's, it's hard at the beginning for a side hustle to actually even make money because of what you want to build it into. And we're lucky we have Mm -hmm. the, the other income to fund that effectively. One thing to point out that's probably worth noting for listeners is like, I don't have kids and I'm not married yes. and, and lifestyle plays a big role in in your side hustle, right? Like it would be a, be a very different side hustle, I imagine, if I had kids. And I know you're, you're, you're engaged and planning a wedding and so your day-to-day looks very different as well. But the important thing for, for folks who are listening, thinking about taking a passion project to the next level is it needs to work for you. At the end of the day, it needs to fit into what you want your ideal lifestyle to look like. And only you know that, right? Like I'm perfectly comfortable. I actually, I'm not a morning person and my best thinking probably comes between the hours of 7 p.m. and 11 p.m. So like, yeah, doing things at night is my vibe, but that's not everybody's vibe. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And one last point I want to hit on this effectively like side hustle, small business thing is also challenges that come with this, right? Like I know we've talked about lawyers and taxes and licenses and all of those things that go into it. So for people starting out, and this isn't to scare anyone, obviously, but like it's not all butterflies and roses that you see on social media. Talk about any challenges you've had with starting or things you didn't expect. Cause I, I do think that's interesting to talk about in, in something that for lack of a better term, you don't get the realness on social. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. I have a very interesting, crucial part of my business that does present some challenges. I do low and no alcohol event bartending, which means that, you know, we are serving small amounts of alcohol in our drinks. And I have a really interesting stance on this that's probably worth speaking to before we go into the the challenges that that presents. But I very much believe while I'm super supportive of the zero proof bars that have popped up everywhere, I actually feel like in order for this movement to go mainstream, that you need the low to get to the no, if you would like to appeal to drinkers. And I think what happens with sober bars is they are inherently exclusive because they exclude people who drink. And if you are in a group of friends going out and one person wants a glass of wine, then you're not going to go to the zero proof bar, right? Like even just one. So the idea around serving low alcohol alongside no has always been a really crucial part of my business model because um, it appeals to drinkers and folks will try the low before they convert to a no. And it actually probably furthers the movement more effectively because you're not just appealing to non-drinkers, you're appealing to drinkers and then want the low and they're like, oh, maybe I'll try a no now. So with that said, the challenges that that it presents is, you know, working through if you were, if I was going to go and do public facing events like at Coachella or, you know, opening a bar in the future, 
there are a lot of licensing requirements that, that come with that territory. And it's part of the reason why I haven't taken the leap to do that so quickly, because that takes capital and advisement. And maybe it's better for me to continue to do private events, you know, for a little while longer while we figure that out. And another piece of it in the hospitality space is, listen, this industry, it's not corporate. People cancel at the last minute. There's staffing issues. Like, as you heard with over the course of of COVID, gig workers and more minimum wage level jobs were were harder to, to staff. And, you know, around the holiday season, oh my gosh, you're, I, it's, it's stressing me out even thinking about it. But I had a bartender. <laughs> I had a bartender. I had two events on the same day, mid-January, a very prominent luxury watch brand and a, a wellness event. And a bartender canceled on me like le- like 48 hours before the event. And, you know, I'm working a full-time job and you have to solve this problem and you have a paying client on the line and you obviously can't let the client know that something's up and it ended up being fully resolved, right? And a bartender, different bartender showed up that day, but it was 48 hours of like pure stress (laughs) over the holidays. In addition to my own holiday parties and having someone staying at my apartment with me, right? And it it turned into just like I had to kind of drop everything and and fix it. But those are the things that that people don't don't talk about. And it's not glamorous. And the majority of times you're in athleisure, like schlepping glasses and boxes in my, you know, little mini Cooper. That's <laughs> that's that's the majority of the footage, not the the fancy bar setup and the, the Does cool it, drinks. Isn't it like a million dollars to get a liquor license in SF? Yeah, it's something crazy. I haven't something even. Ridiculous. It's up there. Yeah, it's something crazy. Well, that, Nerver, it, yeah, that's why there are actually a lot of bars in San Francisco that don't have a liquor license and just serve. Mm-hmm beer and wine. And I don't know any of the nuances related to like liquor versus beer and wine and how that all works. But I know that there are a good amount when I live there that they would have cocktails with like sake and them because they didn't want to pay or weren't able to get a full liquor license, which just shows how hard it is. And San Francisco is its own beast, right? But like, it's super interesting. So thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm, Definitely. All right, let's do some rapid fire to end. And then I'm going to have you tell us where you can find, we can find you. So the first question is, if someone had to describe your hosting style in one word, what would it be? I think they would say warm. I have been hosting since I moved to San Francisco in 2014. I would host all the Jewish holidays, Passover, Rosh Hashanah. And whether you were Jewish, not Jewish, you were always invited. And these events, similarly to Melanie's story from Gia, it would go from a six-person intimate dinner to all of a sudden we have 20 people coming over (laughs) for dinner because I can't say no. I love this this quote when thinking about hosting or a gathering. People want to feel included but not required, which I think is a very fine line to walk. That's so interesting. when, When you're hosting and, right, that's something as simple as, yeah, like feel free to bring a bottle of wine if you'd like. We have these kinds of drink options available, right? You're not being as harsh. And and sometimes there's a time and a place for being more prescriptive, but yeah, as a host, yeah, you I, should check off my I, I have boxes. a question on that because yeah. so we wanted to have this barbecue playoff party on this past Saturday. And barbecue in Austin obviously is a huge thing. 
but it's expensive. Like it's expensive per pound for it, plus sides and all of that. And we ended up having a lot of people. We had, I think, 19 people confirmed. But Cam, my fiance, and I were like, we kind of want to know if you're coming for and and not bail because we're going to order a certain amount of food. And like, sure, I'm fine if a couple of people have things or if like one or two people have things come up last minute, that doesn't matter. But I don't really want this just like flaky bail from someone when they've committed just because we were going to be paying for more of it. So like, it's hard because I don't want to be that person of like, tell me if you're coming or not. But I also don't want to lose out on money and have people just like not show up last minute. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. The people feeling included but not required uh, expression, I think, relates more to when they are actually like in your home, right? Like, or in your space when you're hosting, right? Like, like you want people to feel included, but not required to drink, right? So you have all these options available. You want to make people feel included, but maybe not required to to bring a plus one, right? Like it's a mix of of kinds of people. I don't think it applies to your point. Like there's a really great book for folks out there by Priya Parker called The Art of Gathering. And it's it's all about hosting in all kinds of environments, parties, you know, just holding space. It could be like courtrooms, dinner parties. It runs the gamut on, on different spaces where people are gathered. And she makes a really good point around no one wants a chill host. Like in theory, guests think that they want a chill host, but the reality is hosting is not a chill sport. And the best hosts just make it look chill. So the, to your point about um, encouraging people or sort of having a requirement around an RSVP, that fits perfectly in not being a chill host. There's a yeah, way to, <laughs> yeah, there's a way to say, hey, we are doing a order in advance for folks and need to know how many people are coming by X date in order to ensure we have enough food for everybody. Whenever I send things like that around hosting, I always make sure that it's clear what's in it for the guest. Like I'm not just asking you this for my health because if you don't RSVP, you literally won't have enough food to eat and you will be at my house hungry. That's kind of the way I like to think about those kinds of things. Like Make sure you put a line in the sand. Sure, like I need to know by X date, but also let your guests know what's in it for them. Like so we will not have enough food if you don't RSVP. <laughs> you can obviously say that in a, in a way that's yeah. a little nicer. Then we will, you will starve. <laughs> okay, what's your favorite drink, either alcoholic or non-alcoholic? I love a good champagne cocktail across the board, zero proof, low ABV. French 75 vibes? Yes, French 75. I just think bubbles are whimsical and fancy and just elevate the entire experience. We do the French zero and the French 37 and a half at Better Bar, which are low and no versions of the classic French 75. So I would say the French 37 and a half lately has been my favorite made with zero proof gin and regular Prosecco and lemon juice. Okay. I like that a lot. What is your favorite type of get together? Oh, this is a good question. My favorite type of get together is probably a concert or some kind of a dancey experience. I love the vibe around getting a bunch of people together for a happy hour before going to a show. I think there's something really magical about having that first drink out at a really cool bar where the magic of a 
music experiences, you know, just ahead of you and sort of the night can kind of take you wherever. And I think that's, you know, while I love hosting at home, I think it's really hard to recreate that magic of, of spontaneity out, out in the world. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say it's like dance, dance experiences. <laughs> so fun. And then last question, do you prefer to host or be hosted? Yeah, I definitely would say I prefer to host. Like, let's just own that. Because because I, of like the control aspect or? I think it's a good question. I know it's it's not necessarily the control aspect. I, okay, so there's a really interesting concept that I thought a lot about in COVID actually before I started the business. And the expression goes, the purpose of life is to figure out what your gift is to the world and the meaning of life is to share it. And I got wow. really clear. Yeah, I know we're going deep on the story <laughs> show. I, I oscillate back and forth by just being like between being super light and fun and then just <laughs> these like zingers of like fortune cookie <laughs> expressions. <laughs> yeah. And I got, I think it's a really great line and, and, and concept for a lot of reasons because it helps give you a lot of clarity of, of kind of like what you're good at and, and what you want to give back to this world. And my gift after doing a lot of thinking is connecting people and holding space for those people to connect. And so I sort of unapologetically feel that I have this gift or, or talent that I, I need to give back to the, to the world in some way. And I think I used to be a little like self-conscious about my own power but I think starting a business, as I'm sure you could probably relate to, kind of gives you that confidence. And you're like, no, I actually do know what I'm doing. And this is something that I feel strongly about and can execute well on. And, and I think I've really learned to just sort of own the fact that like, yeah, I love to host. I love bringing people together. And I think I'm like a little bit better at it than, than some people. Yeah, that's, that's totally completely cool. fine. Like, yeah, totally. So I love being a guest, but um, I like hosting more. And to, you know, if you've ever like, given back to the community in any way it's always when you when you're the person giving back it almost it, it feels better in some way and so i kind of sometimes look at hosting as like my way of giving back to to the community yeah no i i think that's great i really like that i it, i feel that way about like giving pre like i'd rather give something you know when you like give a present that you're so excited to like give that present to someone because you know it's a great present but then when you're opening presents you're like kind of anxious of what that present is going to be or like you don't get that same level of satisfaction I feel like when you know that you're good at something and they're going to be excited about it too there's this just level of satisfaction that's totally that's really great so yeah and we, um, it's so that's such a good point and I've noticed too like when I'm stressed or there's like negative things going on in my life I tend to host and because it's like, it's, it's a way that I can, I know what the outcome is going to be if I do it. Right. It's like, someone yeah. who, like go to yoga or meditation or whatever. Like I've kind of learned that this, it's this mechanism, probably like a healthy habit where cool. If I invite people over and have people and create this space, I know that it's going to create a lot of joy amongst the guests and also create a lot of joy for me in the same way that, that gift giving creates a lot of joy for the giver, the yeah. experience. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Stephanie, how can we best support you, find you, give us all the deets? And yeah, definitely. You can find me by following me on Instagram uh, at better bar, one word. And the best way to support is if you are in the 
Bay Area, definitely give us a shout and think of better bar and low and no alcohol bartending for your next event. Currently, we are just in the Bay Area, but looking into expansion opportunities. And I do take events outside of the Bay every once in a while, depending on the opportunity. So if you're outside of the Bay, don't hesitate to reach out. Awesome. Can you come to Austin and then we can do an event together? Yeah. That just, you, you know where to find me. Let's keep that conversation flowing. I mean, as you've mentioned in previous episodes, like this is just the beginning of the movement. So I'm so excited but, for you. Thank so you for coming on. For you too. You're very welcome. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. As you know, I am not a specialist and I'm not trained to give advice whatsoever. These are just my own personal thoughts and conversations. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate and review the show if you can. It helps so, so much. And feel free to find me on social channels, Host by Tori. See ya! See ya!